and welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. I'm Lamar Womble. And today we have a very special guest, y'all. He is a father, a husband, an incredibly successful theater artist. Please give it up for Dexter Singleton. Give it up for Dexter Singleton, everybody. Give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up. Let's go, let's go. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. I, you know, really looking forward to our conversation today. For sure, for sure. So with all of these uh, interviews and guests that we've had this season, Dexter, we like to start off by just asking folks, like, what's some of the work you're doing right now that you're really excited about? So tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, and just really what you're passionate about right now. Projects, work, anything else? You know, first, I have a, um, a continual uh, two-person show that's running. Uh, starring a two-year-old and a five-year-old, uh, my son, <laughs> <laughs> Xavier and Isaiah. And so that is uh, the first project that I'm always working on, right, is, is uh, trying to raise them, you know, trying to be a, a you know, better husband to my wife, to, to my wife, Erin. In terms of projects that I'm working on out in the world, um, I am locally in New Haven, executive artistic director of Collective Consciousness Theater that uh, does a lot of work around the community, a season of plays, um, pre-pandemic, um, a few digital projects that we've done during the pandemic. Uh, we're hoping to get back to live performances uh, this coming spring uh, in New Haven, um, crossing our fingers and hoping that that can work out for us. Uh, but then I'm also working on a number of things nationally. Um, I'm a freelance director, directs, you know, productions around the country, um, you know, various theaters and cities. Uh, and also I'm director of new play development at Theater Square, a mid-sized uh, professional theater that's down in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So there I develop new work for the stage, um, particularly bringing my voice that for years in New Haven, which is a uh, new work that uh, that is about the um, you know African American experience, uh, Latinx experience, right? Other people of color experience, uh, and plays that are socially conscious and, and and of the time. And talking about collective consciousness, and I know having worked with you now for for fifteen years, like we we've known each other for some time now, Dexter, um, yeah. and 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 I've been very fortunate to work with collective consciousness, and I know that you have had a particular focus uh, for a long time and particularly the last several years in uh, highlighting featuring work of uh, writers, women of color. And so I'm interested to like understand like why, why is that a choice that you make with collective consciousness to, to raise those voices with the shows that you're producing? Someone has sp spoken to me about that not that long ago. They said, oh, you've been a real champion of uh, uh, work written by black women. And, uh, you know, and I produced so much work over the years. And I said, wow, I guess, you know, when, when we really look at it and you look at, you know, who I've produced maybe the most, I think we can, you know, say, you know, easily that it's been uh, overwhelmingly uh, Black women. Uh, but that's for me comes from, you know, my roots. I was raised in a single parent home. You know, my pops was around, but kind of in and out based on what, how he was feeling that particular day or month. And so my mother was consistent, you know, black women were consistent in my life throughout my childhood and helping to raise me and guide me. So that's where, you know, my trust came from, you know, and, and who I trusted the most always in life. And so uh, so those stories were most important to me because those were the people that were closest to my heart were, were black women. Uh, and in particular, I just was very attracted to the work 
um, of, you know, women who, uh, who just wrote these really tremendous, powerful stories, you know, women like, uh, you know, Dominique Mariso, who's a Detroiter uh, and has had, you know, international success and is represented on Broadway and women like Katori Hall, who, uh, who's been represented across TV and film and Broadway as well with the uh, Tina Turner musical. And so uh, in those stories particularly have just resonated with me because I felt like they've written so, you know, so many well-rounded characters, so many stories that can, that can resonate with uh, uh, you know black communities, you know first and foremost, but also has a universal story that a lot of people can uh, can connect to. And so, for me, um, it's just really been about you know trusting my instincts over the years with that work and just that type of work that just spoke to me and those writers. And um, and just uh, because of the closeness and the relationship I've had with black women in my life. I know that that work moving forward is work that I can trust that's going to be successful and resonate, you know, across, you know, across all communities, um, you know, because, uh, you know, black women hold up, hold up a, a lot of our society <laughs> and they do it, uh, you know, every single day and are always often, unfortunately, taking on more, you know, and uh, and holding up, uh, you know, family units, holding up a lot of strong, a lot of men who need it. Uh, and, uh, and so I wanted to champion that work because I think it's important for us to highlight them, but also we need to give that support back, you know, to black women, um, you know, uh, 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 in their work on the stage, but also their work, their work in life. Powerful. Powerful. I think it should also be noted, Dexter. I don't think you and I have talked about this, but I have noticed for a number of years now, there will be a play that collective consciousness produces and by a black woman, like writer, right? And then several years later, that play will somehow end up on Broadway, right? So, so whatever instinct, whatever pulse that you and your partners and collective consciousness have had has been spot on for like, I'd say probably like the last decade. It's been really powerful to see. Yeah, that, that was gonna be my, my question to you, Dexter, as well, because like now, now we are in a space, I think in society where, where folks are starting to understand the influence and the power of the black woman in general. And so now it's kind of trendy, right? To, to be on par, like, oh, how can I find ways to elevate black women? As somebody who's been doing it for a long time, like subconsciously, unconsciously, because it's what you are and how you were brought up. When, when do you think, when, when is there a, what's the line for you? Like, when did you decide that, you know what, like, this is the type of work I'd like to do. Like, these are the types of stories I'd like to tell. These are like the people I'd like to support. Now, obviously like it's, it's, it's part of your upbringing, but like, was there a conscious decision in there at any point? Yeah, I mean, first off for me, it was always just about, you know, finding really great plays. Uh, and there was, you know, it's always when I read a play and I read tons of plays all the time. And when I read a piece and I'm like, there's just something about it that just resonates with me. And then when I find myself thinking about it after I've read it, when I find myself, uh, you know, uh, looking up, you know, different portions of the play or different themes or, or subject matter of a play, and it just sticks with you. There's just something about it that resonates. And I figure, well, if it sticks with me, will it stick with other people in the community? You know, um, I look for stories where, you know, obviously people who are underrepresented, stories that are unique, that have a different take on things uh, told in a unique way. Uh, but also for us in those early years of collective consciousness, it was really about 
you know, um, just finding stories that, uh, uh, that, that I felt like New Haven hadn't seen before. Um, and, uh, and that would get that they would get excited about. I, I like being in on the ground floor, right, of it and, and just feeling like this is something that's about to take off and I wanna be a part of it when it does. And, I, and, uh, and so that was always what it was about as well is I knew that if we found plays and presented them at collective consciousness that were just on that, you know, that about to uh, explode, right, or about to take off that, um, that uh, it would be something that would really be powerful, really resonate. And then when people see it and then it, um, and then it goes somewhere else, it goes to New York, it goes to Broadway, um, people can always say, hey, I caught it when, I saw it when, right? Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I think that also lets people know that when they see that those plays, you know, who knows when you pick a play, if it's gonna go to Broadway, gonna be successful. I mean, you hope it is, cause you feel like it's a good piece. But I think when it, when it is, the, the viewer or the theater goer that might be reluctant to come to a play, they say, wow, they're picking these plays and now these plays are going to Broadway or they're successful in New York. I look how they're moving along. Wow, that, 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 that might be something to see. So then I feel like it makes people want to say, hey, I want to go in there and see what they're doing. I want to get in on the ground floor as well, um, because this could be something that is the next big thing. And for us at CCT, it was um, uh, definitely uh, for us, you know, I wanted to go to writers who who had not quite had a big production, but and they were taking off um, and and because I felt like I could get really high level work that a lot of people didn't know about. So I wouldn't have to really mm. fight a lot of other producers and people to get that work. So I was always looking for the writer and still am looking for the writer who has not had a first production yet, looking to get that first production, looking to get that world premiere. Um, the one, the writer that a lot of people talk about, and I'm always asking people, who are you reading? Who are you paying attention to? And a lot of writers have had workshops here, done little things, readings and stuff, but then uh, they just haven't had that big thing yet. And, uh, and, and I feel like when I'm able to build those relationships, because that's really what it's about, because it's about, I, I was able to build relationships a lot of times with those writers one-on-one, -on -one, going and meeting those writers at a place. And, you know, and when somebody's famous, right, to try to get a meeting with them, it's like, okay, talk to their agent, talk to their assistant, send them an email, maybe they'll call you back, maybe. But when a writer isn't well known and they're fabulous, they I could just get their email, get their phone number, text them, meet with them at the restaurant around the corner. And that's a lot of times what it was. You know, the first time I met Dominique Mariso, uh, she was unknown at the time. And, you know, we met at a, at a theater, uh, at a restaurant around the corner from the public theater in New York City. And, uh, and we met and sat down for two hours and talked about Detroit 67 and Detroit and her work. You know, fast forward six, seven, eight years later, two shows on Broadway, this, this, and this, TV shows, shameless producer, blah, blah, blah. And so for me, it's also trying to, you know, trying to have an eye and my ear to the ground and my eye on kind of what's next, what's the next big thing, what's, what's, what's happening next. You've mentioned several times now uh, your roots in Detroit. And I'd love to go back to your roots, your origin story a little bit. I mean, first off, you are the first person I ever met in my life that goes hard for Detroit, right? Like you, you have been repping the Lions, 
the Pistons through some real hard times yeah. and still do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to go back. You know, you mentioned uh, growing up uh, in a single mother home, uh, you know, here in season three, you're like, we're really trying to understand, like, you know, where do our initial ideas or thoughts on manhood, masculinity, the type of man that we want to grow into, like, where do those come from? So for you, you know, where, where did those come from? And what were some of those initial ideas of, of the type of man that you want to grow into? You know, my mother, uh, one thing that she was really great at is that even though, like I said, my dad was in and out of my life, my mother was really great at connecting me with men in my community who were positive, who were doing great things. And so, um, you know, having uh, a few male mentors at school, right, a few, you know, an assistant principal and a male teacher, um, and then also having uh, my pastor, you know, uh, my, my pa pastor Gamble, uh, who was my uh, childhood pastor at my church. And he took me under his wing. He had three boys of his own. And so, you know, he took me, he and his wife took me into their family and I was almost like one of his own kids and ate with the family and hung out with them and played basketball and did, you know, certain things. So there were people, my mother always did a great job of putting me in mentoring programs, put me in, you know, filling my day up you know, this program to this program. Cause I also didn't grow up in a great neighborhood. Uh, and, and in the eighties, you know, I, you know, I'm a kid of the late eighties and early nineties in Detroit. And so, um, you know, that was a time when we had, you know, a lot of turnover in terms of jobs, not being as, as prevalent as they were, you know, uh, drugs and different things in the community being more prevalent. And, uh, and so she kept me busy with programs and stuff so that I wasn't, you know, out in the street, I wasn't getting influenced by other men uh, who weren't, you know, who were maybe more negative influences and so kept me around those positive men who showed me the right way. And it helped that I was able to see them successful. I was able to hear their stories. I was able to hear them talk about traveling and having other experiences that I couldn't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, I didn't have any money to travel, but I could dream about traveling, right? And when I get to a certain point, I can go to these places that, that they talked about and experience some of these things. So it started me to, you know, thinking about college and, and how that could, you know, go. Um, you know, my mother didn't graduate from college and she went, got some schooling, but, you know, so she always just tried to make sure that put me in a position, right, where I was going to be able to, um, to do more than she did, right? More than she had the opportunity to do. And, uh, and put me around those people that she thought could be, help me be successful. And, and, it, and, uh, and it, you know, I think it worked. Are there ways that those men that you identified in your community, the way that they showed up, are, are there ways that you try to show up now with your community and, and specifically with your, with your boys, with your kids, right? Like what, what's the through line there? What, what are you continuing to try to model? One of the first things I always say to myself and another um, brother I knew who, who I know who uh, had the same, similar situation, they said to me once, said, I just want my kids to not have the feelings that I had with my dad, right? And, uh, and that was powerful. When I heard him say that to me, I was like, and it, all, it just, it just whoosh, you know, took something out of me and, and really almost brought tears to my eyes in that moment of, and just, and it brought, brings me back to that feeling that I had when I was around my dad or spoke to him and just that feeling of just feeling, you know, like I, you know, like, like sometimes like he didn't care or he didn't want me or didn't want to be with me or didn't love me. Right. And having that feeling with somebody 
and you know you trying to get that relationship and trying to build that relationship and having a, a father who basically felt like he had other things to do you know women to see places to go you know and you know later for that and i didn't want ever my boys to feel that way and so i wanted to break that cycle i was very aware that if i um you know if i you know didn't wasn't conscious of the relationship I was having with them on a daily basis and trying to improve it, that I might've continued some of those same cycles, you know, um, because we always try to get away, right, from what our parents taught us and try to do it our own way or be our own man or our own woman, our own person in some ways. But a lot of times uh, we do end up modeling, right, um, what we were taught you know, both the positive and the negative, um, even if we don't want to, and we're super conscious of it, sometimes those things still come out. And so I had to be aware of that and make sure as much as I can every day that I wasn't doing that because my father came from a situation where his father was not a great father. And then the other father wasn't mm. a great father. And then we taking it back, obviously back to days of sharecropping and slavery. It's, it's generational. Kind of come, right, generational that come off, right? Men coming off the plantation, men coming off out of slavery and then, and then you know, mental health issues and then they're passing it on generation, generation, generation. And so that that's where it was. And so I, I'm really conscious of it and really trying to stop that cycle of men being absent, men being abusive, um, you know, men not being good fathers. And, uh, you know, I think so so far so good. You know, they, they've got a, you know, a different Absolutely. life than what I had a different relationship than I had with my own father. I mean, Dexter, I'll say this. I mean, not that you need, you, you don't need my validation at all. Like, let's be clear. But like, one of the things I've always been just like so grateful for and admired in you is like your dedication uh, to the craft, to theater, to, to acting, to directing, to producing. Like that's something I've looked up to professionally. And I got to say, as much as you've been dedicated in that realm, like you are dedicated tenfold as a father and a husband. So, I mean, even more admiration and respect to you for that. Thank um, you. When did you like decide that theater, um, acting, like the whole bit was like what you wanted to do? You know, I got into it. I think I got into it a little bit later than how some people. There are some people who tell stories of like, oh, I just was since I was six years old and I was, you know, doing this and blah, blah, blah. And I got into it relatively late. I didn't start to I, I the first time I took an acting class, I was in high school and I just took it for fun. Uh, and it was just to get an elective credit that I needed to graduate. And so I took the class. Somebody said, hey, man, the drama class is easy. A. am like, cool, easy. A. That's what I need, man. An elective. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was an athlete. You know, I, used to, I was playing. Um, I played on the baseball team, on the varsity team in high school. I was planning on being an accountant. Uh, and I've been uh, been mentored by another man uh, named Kevin Carter. Uh, brother who's still in the Detroit area is mentor to so many young people. Uh, and he was one of my main mentors in high school and had an accounting firm in a Carter Corporation that's still going to this day. And he, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just showed me the way of sort of, you know, the, this, what I can be right and showing me those dreams and things that I talked about earlier. And so um, I, you know, I uh, did the drama class and there was something about it that just I was like, wow, this is fun. And it, and it felt like there was just a uh, an exhilaration that I just got from it, a feeling just that I just that just didn't make me feel like anything else. And so then I ended up taking the class again. And then my senior year, I decided that uh, at some point I said, you know, my second half of my senior year, and I said, maybe I want to explore this a little bit more. 
and I want to start doing some more acting. So I ended up getting um, auditioning for a troupe uh, that was called Mosaic Youth Theater of Detroit. They're you know world renowned at this point, and uh, and you know they were a troupe that where I was able to join that troupe, audition, and I was able to travel. Um, we did theater, you know, different parts of the, you know, different states and different parts of the country and uh, performed on television and different things. And it was really kind of a, you know, sort of pre-professional opportunity, kind of like a, you know, a boys choir of Harlem or up with the people or one of those kind of, you know, youth groups that perform and travel. And so did that. I then decided that very quickly, oh, maybe I want to do this in college. You know, once I did that my senior year. So I got into a really late, I wasn't even a theater major when I hit campus, but then I auditioned for a play as soon as I hit campus and I was able to get in the play. So things just kind of like happened for me. I didn't, I was so late to the game that I was kind of knocking on doors late and I hadn't read a play before. And, and but I think one of the things is just that the way the world, the universe kind of worked is that they were continually at a certain point, once theater was introduced to me, theater people just kind of showed up in my life. How did you, or how have you dealt with the perceptions of um, being in the theater world and being successful? Um, one, because, you know, a lot of people think like, if I'm going to be an actor, if I'm going to be on Broadway, then there's a level of success that you must achieve in order to be a full-time artist in that way, which we all know is not the truth, but you have to deal with that, especially going into college and like, well, that's not a that's a hobby. That's not a real degree. Like, so I'm, I'm interested to learn about like how you manage that and who in your life, were there detractors? Were the people telling you like, that's not real? How do you manage that? And then on the other side of that, as a black man in theater, um, did you ever have to deal with other black men uh, holding you down? Maybe even thinking like, this is, gay or whatever, you know what I mean? Those types of things. Like, so I'm really interested to kind of explore that in between and everything on both sides of that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we got all of that. I mean, because I quit in high school, I remember, you know, I went to turn in my uniform uh, on baseball team. Right, you were an athlete. I just, show, I just showed up to the practice and it was my senior year and showed up to the practice and I just like hand to coach my uniform and the coach is like, what's this? What you doing? <laughs> like, I, remember, yeah, I still remember the conversation. He's like, what's up? I like, uh, so I'm turning my uniform, man. And he's like, for what? <laughs> right? He just didn't even get it. He didn't get you it. You don't want to win? Yeah. You don't want to win I, anymore? Exactly. And I said, I quit. And then he said to me, he said to me, he said, he said, you'll be back. You'll be back. And I said, uh, I said, no, I said, no, no coach. I ain't coming back. I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue theater. And he just laughed it off back then. You know, there weren't a lot. I didn't grow up around a lot of actors and stuff. And so it was one of those things where it was, it was rare. And so people were like, man, you're doing that acting thing, man. What's up with that? Man, that's weird. You around the weirdos. And then when they saw me sort of doing, once I started to get more successful at it and do plays, even, you know, my second half of my senior year, you know, I would get sort of, cause I grew up in an all black community. Oh, you doing that? You know, you doing a white boy thing? Right, you white now, you know, and so I that was a lot of it too that I would get a sort of like that that people would say that sort of a thing. And and I think once people saw me actually perform, I think that changed a lot of people too, because they saw that I had talent at it. And that, you know, they went, Oh man, this dude is, you know, and then it became after a while, I think, when people and that was my goal, is like, all right, I'm gonna win people over by performing, by doing well. And that became motivation to say, I'm gonna take it. And then when they see me, then they, they're not going to laugh at me. They're not going to think I'm this or that. 
um, with that. And, and a lot of times that's what happened is I was able to win people over, you know, once they saw me, you know, do some of those things. And I was so happy with it. It just made me, it just was, it just connected a part of my life and just turned that I just was so excited by it that I was like, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping because it just makes me feel too good. It's bringing positive energy, it's bringing great people into my life. And so I was able to just keep going with it. I think a lot of times when people say, you know, you shouldn't do it, it's because they're often relating it to a story of an individual who they knew that didn't make it or didn't get as far as what they thought was successful, mm. right? You know, because success, right? And they'll say, you know, uh, what, what TV show have you been on, <laughs> right? And that's always got people <laughs> that smart, right? If you're successful or you haven't been on TV, then I don't know who you are, who, who you acted with. You know, and if you can't name a star or something like that, then it's like, oh, well, you must not be doing. And so theater is often always we know not considered to be as successful as, you, as if you're on Netflix or t film or you're into something with Denzel or whatever like that. Um, but it also but it does have great success. Right. And you can earn a you know good living at it as well. Love to hear that. And and it's funny because so I, I'm a speaker. I talk to kids about finding their passion, doing what they love. And what you just described is like some of the things that I share when I'm talking to people about what it means to be passionate is that like, I don't want to stop. I'd rather do this than anything else. Like you, you know, there's some long days, but it's worth it because there's nothing else I would rather put my attention and love towards. So yeah, love to hear that. So Dexter, like you, you are somebody that I think as you've highlighted throughout this episode, like you are having great success, I think like by both your, your metrics of success, which what I'm hearing is like, having it be a source of joy, also a consistent source of like activity, like you're always working, like you're always finding new opportunities. And then of course, like there's the making a living piece of it, right? But you're able to be really successful now at this point with, yeah. with theater, with this career, you're traveling all over the country, uh, you're doing work in New Haven, like all over the place, which is really powerful. I'm wondering, like, as we are here in season three, like we're, we're trying to understand in different uh, career paths and different uh, areas, sectors of our, of our world, like how do ideas of manhood, masculinity, patriarchy, how do they show up in those certain areas? So, so how do ideas of manhood and masculinity show up in the theater world, whether that's like specifically in New Haven, or if it's like, as you're seeing it traveling the country, doing these shows, like how does it show up and, and, and what is maybe challenging about that? Things I've been thinking about is how, um, you know, I look at ways of what does the world need more of? And so I try to often find, you know, most of all the different criteria I talked about and trying to find good work and good writers um, is writers who are talking about things uh, about males that we just may not have seen enough of, we need more of. And so, you know, exploring Black joy, exploring plays, uh, work I've been uh, really excited about recently is, um, you know, pieces where uh, men can show uh, true brotherhood um, or show love to one another um, and extend a hand and help one another and pieces like that. Uh, and because I think that that more of that is needed because I always try to create work that is a great conversation piece. You know, of course, you know, a piece is funny or it's attractive in certain ways, but for me, it also needs to be something at, at, the, at the heart of it, right, that sparks conversation. Right. And that people go home and they want to talk about and they look at how the play um, 
how the play represents their own life, right, or their own journey, because that's when it's going to be the deepest and hit you the most and, and, and really stick with you, right, is when you say, I'm like that character on stage, that's my mom, that's my dad, that's my homies, that's, you know, different things. And so I want to see plays that really kind of break that mold, uh, because I think we also need plays that, you know, that can model, you know, that behavior that we want to, you know, see, aspire to, can be. Um, because I, if we don't see enough story, because there's so many stories out here still too many that show negative representations of men, of black males. And, uh, and when we talk about being toxic, right, that's it, right? It's too many, still too many roles of, you know, shut up and give me the money, lady, you know, or, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or, right. Or, or too much of the swag, right. That people get attracted to, right. And we have to get away from that and have stories that, that, you know, so I try to particularly entertain and stay away from plays or pieces that I've seen too much of that have really flooded or saturated the market. But when we show characters that are toxic, that we also give a well-rounded perspective on it, because I think that sometimes can be missing mm -hmm. from entertainment as we just don't see enough well-rounded perspective on it of why that person ended up that way right mm. um what's their background what's their home situation what was their community like and so that that's really key um to me as well is to show characters of color that are well-rounded so we see how they got into those situations and then how they can move forward and escape that toxicity um how they can escape that negativity and move on to a more positive higher higher plane dexter you mentioned earlier right like the relationship with your dad and where that was challenging and, and hurtful, harmful. Uh, you mentioned like wanting to break what are generational cycles, right? And, and I know I, I'm asking you this question, knowing that for me, being an actor, being a director, being on stage, doing that work has allowed me to work through a lot of those challenges, right? Like, and, and a lot of that, what I would say is baggage, right? So I'm interested, like, has being an actor, a director, a producer, somebody who runs a theater, who has done this work, has been in pursuit of it and practiced that empathy, that understanding with characters. Has that allowed you to work through any of these, any of these things, or, or allowed you to understand the type of father, type of man that you want to step into? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, you know, it starts with one being able to uh, provide opportunities for the community, um, and so you know, doing so much work by written by Black folks, right, Black women uh, that. I'm able to give a lot of opportunities to black artists. Um, and, you know, that's been really great to be able to do that uh, in Connecticut, you know, starting off doing that in Connecticut around here. And now with my work having been expanded the last few years to national work, now I'm able to sort of say to folks here that are here in New Haven that I work with, hey, here's a bigger opportunity, right? That pays more money, that puts you on a national scale, that gives you a higher profile. Um, and so I'm now at the point where I've been blessed enough to be able to help people launch their careers and get seen by more people on a bigger scale. And so I think that that is a big part of it, because when people can feel like they're working, that they're providing for themselves, they're providing for their family, um, they're doing work that's positive, it's not degrading, it's not, you know, putting them in a negative headspace, because, you know, I, I also know that I've seen Black artists that when they play characters that are just stereotypes or negative representations, that those kind of things stick with actors too. 
And I've seen actors who then they get into that negative headspace and then that negativity that they're portraying on stage or TV and film starts to then be a part of their, uh, you know, their everyday outside, you know, lives as well. Because actors, you know, right, Christian, we take this stuff with us and people think sometimes you just read a script, you do the lines and then you leave and that's it. No, we research, we live with it, we think about these characters. And so sometimes for some people that becomes a blur and they because they can't separate the two because they give so much of their their emotional selves, their mental, physical, they give it all to those characters that you can't help but sometimes walk away and have that still be a part of your life, um, especially when you, if you're dealing with material that's very uh, that's very present in society normally, right? Um, you know, and things that are violent or things that are, right, these things that are still perpetuated outside of the stage, TV, film, you know, work. And so so that's been really great is to give those opportunities to people. Also always bringing up younger artists. I'm always aware that I'm not just trying to bring up artists who are my own age or who are older. I'm also always looking at who's the next generation. And I feel like as I'm getting older now that I'm middle age, like there's that, you know, you get people who now they get into middle age and they're like, they just want to hold on to their spot or they want to advance and look out for themselves. Right. And, and we know sometimes, you know, the generation, you know, uh, who's older, the boomers, you know, they're still in charge. And but our, our, my middle age generation is now Generation X is now coming into, you know, leading organizations and, and being those lead people that we can't just be worried about holding on to our spot or saying that once we get a sit at the you know the front front seat at the table now we're like okay i'm here i'm the man now i'm the head producer now so i'm keeping my spot for the next 30 years and ain't nobody right but i'm always looking at how can we bring up the next generation i always have a, a cast member i always try my best to have a cast member that is making their professional debut and that's mm. been really important to me somebody that's making a professional debut because to see that joy and to see them say this is their first chance to be in a big professional production get a get a write-up in whatever national paper that's a that's a beautiful thing and that's helping to launch a career and i always try to do that on the, on the crew side as well 10 15 years from now what is like what's the big vision for all the the work that you do do collective consciousness uh the theaters that you manage is there a consolidation? Is there expansion? Where do you see yourself in, in 10 to 15? Well, I want to continue to do, you know, really great work that people that resonates with people that people value. Um, I see myself, uh, I want to run a bigger theater. Um, and so my goal is to be able to run a large uh, professional theater. Uh, and, um, and, and continue to produce great work. Um, that can have movement, you know, just across all mediums. You know, I definitely want to get into uh, working on TV and film consistently as a director and a producer. So I see myself, you know, in those years being able to do that as well. So um, I just love the entertainment business, right? I just want to be able to have an influence across, you know, all the different platforms, um, you know, and bring in stories that, you know, like I said, positive, powerful stories that are socially, uh, relevant uh, that and people can see themselves as being a part of because I don't think there's enough of those out there and so uh, and just being able to give as many opportunities as I can like I said I love to be able to provide people with a living wage and opportunities and the jobs and I, I just want to be able to continue to do that more um, at the highest level that, that I can do it my man's consistent
That is a perfect word to describe Dexter, consistent. Um, you know, Dexter, as I said earlier, like you have been an inspiration to me for many years now. And I hope, and I think after listening to this episode, you will have inspired folks that are listening here today uh, as a theater artist, as a professional, as a person, as a man. So we just really appreciate you being with us today and joining the Men Up podcast. Yeah, thank you. This was a great time. Yeah, man. Really appreciate you being on. The Men Up podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shaboud. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.